Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, data, and advisory services that help power their emerging market business strategy. My name is Richard Leggett. I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and I'm joined today in studio by our managing director of our global channel practice, Ryan Breyer, who's here to talk to us about our recently completed global channel benchmarking study. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that all of FSG's channel research, including the results from this benchmarking study, along with all of FSG's content, is available online via our portal, which you can access at www.frontierstrategygroup.com. Please contact your FSG account manager if you have questions or have forgotten your login details. Ryan, thanks for joining today. Thanks, Rich. It's great to be here. I am super excited uh, to have the opportunity to speak to you about this global benchmarking study. It's a, I know it's a lot of work has gone into it, and I think it's a, it's a seminal piece at an important moment of time, and I want to jump right into it. Before I do so, I want to just set the table and the context a little bit. Um, at FSG, we work with over 200 multinationals, uh, and we have identified that uh, almost 100% of that client base sells uh, through indirect channels in emerging markets. And especially uh, in emerging markets, almost half of their revenue comes from uh, indirect channels. And more so, than half, actually. Is it more than half? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is a significant revenue stream for our clients. And what we've observed over the last several years is that it's been largely undermanaged vis-a-vis uh, the counterpart, which would be the direct channel. Yeah. And so as a result of that, um, at a time where we all of a sudden see growth slowing and becoming less predictable in many of the emerging markets, the ability to focus on optimization of that channel, this large investment that represents such a, a high percentage of revenue for our clients, is, is a pretty important moment in time. And so this, this research couldn't be at uh, a more important time. And what I'm also interested in with this piece of research is that we've written over 50 uh, best practice research studies around channel management and different aspects of channel management. But uh, with this study, we're actually pu- pulling together for the first time some real, uh, real powerful benchmarking across all regions and all industries. Mm-hmm. So with that as the table setting, I think it would be helpful if you maybe you could talk a little bit about the origins of this particular study uh, with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, as you rightly pointed out, uh, we've been investing in channel uh, for uh, a long time here at Frontier Strategy Group, both in terms of our, our syndicated research offering, as well as in terms of our advisory services. And uh, many of the insights that we've generated over the years around best practices have come from working with clients, trying to understand what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. And through that process, uh, we've developed really strong uh, sense of what is best practice when it comes to managing channels. However, all of that was anecdotal for the most part. And so what we wanted to do here was generate sound empirical evidence that allowed us to be able to say definitively that companies who engage in particular behaviors when it comes to managing the performance of their channel partners tend to outperform vis-a-vis those who don't engage in those behaviors. And that was really what uh, motivated this this study and this benchmarking exercise that we ran. And it yielded some really powerful results 
results. And, and I'll get into some of that in the course of our discussion here today. But I think overarchingly, it's very, very salient given exactly what you mentioned, you know, the, the context of the market landscape that companies are, are facing today. In a world where top line growth is slowing, uh, when you don't have the economic tailwinds that were really driving performance for many multinationals in emerging markets over the past couple of years, uh, companies are starting to look inward to try and figure out how can they drive performance uh, based upon optimizing their internal operations, their processes, uh, even to a certain extent their strategy. And what we've discovered is that channel really represents, and the way in which companies manage their channels, one of the most potent levers that a company can pull in order to drive both top as well as bottom line uh, growth in uh, emerging markets today. Yeah, it's one of those rare categories where you, you can enhance revenue and growth, but you can also at the same time improve profitability and actually build stronger capabilities uh, on, on, on areas that are really important to your brand, your market share in those. So there's very few areas where you can get that triple play. Yeah. Uh, such as this one. And I think the other uh, impetus, I, I think, besides the empirical evidence to back up uh, some of our, our anecdotal best practices, is really the thirst for information that our clients have to benchmark themselves against peers. And there's really nothing out there that allows them to do that. So this study takes those first steps towards giving them some benchmarking from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, why don't we uh, start with just a, a bit about the overview of the scope of the survey in terms of the size, the topics, uh, the the profile of the participants. Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to be, uh, or aimed to be as inclusive as we possibly could uh, be in this study so that we could draw out takeaways that would be relevant to a diversity of clients. And so uh, to that end, we were able to uh, capture responses from over 160 uh, executives around the world, uh, really well distributed across the regional portfolio that we have here at Frontier Strategy Group. So across the, the EMEA region, uh, Latin America, as well as APAC, uh, and, and not just geographically well distributed, but also well distributed from an industry standpoint. So uh, we had uh, roughly a third of the responses coming from our industrial cohort, uh, another third from our healthcare cohort, and uh, just under a third from our, our consumer cohort, and then a few from our, our technology cohort as well, of course. Um, and the way that we uh, tried to approach the study was really to, to look at two dimensions of, of channel. So one, how are companies structuring their channels? Uh, so how dependent are they on channels? Uh, how are they resourcing that internally in terms of you know, FTEs? Um, what are the, the nature of the relationship? Uh, how satisfied are they? Uh, and then we looked at actual best practices, so behaviors. What are the specific ways in which companies are managing their channel partners, the types of incentive structures, the way in which they approach their meeting cadence, uh, the tools that they deploy, how those tools are structured, and really try to relate all of the above to commercial outcomes, right? So, and we looked here at kind of the, the holy trinity of commercial outcomes. So top line growth, market share growth, and uh, operating uh, margins. Okay, great. So let's dive in. So we'll start with channel structure, the first dimension that you mentioned, and uh, maybe hit some of the key findings there in terms of how, how our clients are structuring uh, their channels and some of the, the variations you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that the first and most important is one that you already hit on, which is the ubiquity of dependence on channel managers. So uh, as you rightly point out, everybody at, uh, that we work with, uh, for the most part, actually uses distributors in some fashion or another. But uh, what we found is that globally, 63% of revenues are derived through distributors for companies. Um, and that varies somewhat, uh, both geographically, 
but even more interestingly uh, by industry. So what we saw is that healthcare companies and consumer goods companies tend to be far more dependent on distribution partners than, than companies from other industries. And that really isn't all that surprising if you think about it. You know, consumer goods companies tend to have to reach consumers in much, much more uh, you know, far-flung geographies um, and have to have many, many more points of sale that they have to serve, and so they are going to therefore become more dependent. Um, similar outcome for healthcare companies, but for a different reason. Uh, what we see here is that healthcare companies tend to have to navigate the morass of the regulatory landscape. There's often a lot more um, requirements for local presence from governments, for example, that you might be trying to sell into through tenders, and so it behooves healthcare companies to be leveraging local partners. And so what we see is that um, if the global average uh, for an industrials or technology company in terms of share of revenues is around 55 to 56%. Uh, for healthcare and consumer goods companies, it's 71 and 69% of their revenues, respectively, are sold through indirect channels. What's interesting about this is that uh, there's a cost associated with this. Um, it's very clear that this is a function of market structure, and so uh, distributors are taking advantage of this. And so when we look at the average cost of working with distributors, we find that consumer and healthcare companies pay a lot more than, than their peers in other industries. Roughly 22 to 23% of their uh, margins are, are being consumed by uh, distribution partners as opposed to a global or pan-industry average of only 19%. And is that structural or is it also uh, at this point in time an opportunity to squeeze more margin out of partners because of the, the putting greater focus on for those industries focus on optimizing that channel? Yeah, I think there's definitely opportunity. Um, when we talk to companies, generally what we find is that they feel as though um, they are missing some uh, efficiencies. There's uh, in, leakage. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. And I think um, that's partly a function of, of both um, lack of capabilities and lack of close management, but it's also a function of, I think, lack of confidence that companies necessarily have options. One of the key things that we looked at was relative power dynamics. And um, uh, roughly about a third of most companies' distribution relationships uh, are actually characterized where, and by a situation where they feel that the distributor has all of the power in the relationship. And certainly that is the case in some instances. Yeah. Uh, but I think through a lot of the processes and best practices that we've uncovered, uh, there are a lot of ways in which companies can gain uh, importance and mind share that well exceeds the wallet share that they have with their partners by being better partners to their distributors. Ryan, when, when you looked at this uh, channel structure, was there some differences not only by industry but in terms of maturity of a company in a market, or was it pretty consistent? Yeah, it's actually a great question. And uh, you know, we didn't really see a ton of um, difference in terms of the cost by maturity. But what we did see was um, that the size and sophistication of partners uh, that uh, multinationals worked with did vary somewhat by geography. And that geographic um, variance tended to align with our understanding of the variation of relative maturity of companies and markets. So, for example, you see that in EMEA, companies tend to be working much more with larger and more sophisticated distributors. I think many multinationals have been in EMEA longer uh, than, for example, APAC, where you tend to see companies less dependent on large, more sophisticated distributors. And that, of course, has certainly a cost associated with it because you're getting more services. But generally, what we find is companies feel that that is a, a worthwhile trade-off for them. Give me a surprising finding uh, when it came to the questions that you surveyed uh, regarding channel structure. 
Yeah, um, there's one that was really interesting for us, which was that um, satisfaction you would expect to be a, a pretty good indicator of, of performance, right? You're not going to be satisfied with your partner if they're not performing. Um, but That's what, what the Rolling Stones said. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? No, but what we found is actually that uh, distributor satisfaction or the satisfaction that companies have with their distributors does not correlate at all with higher commercial performance or better commercial outcomes. Um, and what that means is that this is probably somewhat of a misleading indicator of overall performance. And the reason for this is something that we see actually happening time and again is what we call channel manager capture. This is a phenomena where um, channel managers uh, have small portfolio of long-term relationships with distributors that they're managing, and these are personal relationships. And so they develop uh, friendships, uh, and oftentimes those friendships or personal relationships will cloud uh, their, their judgment and perception of the actual capabilities and performance of their, their partners. And so we've had many instances where uh, you know we've tried to go in with a client to help them run a channel transitions workshop. And uh, objectively speaking, it's very clear that a, a partner is probably not a good fit for the market over the medium to long term, but because their kids go to the same school, the channel manager might not be so uh, open to, to having that conversation. Right. And so for that reason, we think it's very, very important that companies uh, do two things. One, have very, very clear metrics-oriented management of their partners um, that are objective and easy to uh, benchmark. Uh, but in addition to that, we think it's important that companies focus a little bit more on the relationship dynamic. Uh, and what we found here is that um, if you define a relationship dynamic less in terms of um, power dynamics or in terms of satisfaction and more about the degree of openness that exists between the distributor and the principal, degree of collaboration that exists, the degree of respect that exists for, for between the two parties, what you find is that companies that have positive uh, relationship dynamics in this vein tend to see operating margins that are nine percentage points higher than companies who don't. That's, that's huge. It's, it's absolutely yeah. huge. And so really what this comes down to is companies need to be focusing on managing their partners in such a way that you're engendering that kind of a relationship dynamic. Let's talk about cultivating more collaborative relationship dynamic. Can you talk a little bit about ways companies can achieve those types of positive outcomes uh, in how they manage uh, their channels? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the absolute most critical pieces of this, and maybe this is, seems obvious on the face of it, but when you look at the data, uh, it's not actually something that's being followed through on by most companies. But that's simply that you need to be using a dedicated channel manager to manage your distribution partners. Um, when we asked uh, the respondents in the survey, you know, for those of you who have made a change in the way that you manage your channel partners within the last five years, what was the number one most impactful change that you made in your business and what was that impact? 23.6% said that appointing a dedicated channel manager for managing their distributors was the most important change. And that was by far and away the highest rated intervention. And what we saw is that companies who had done this in the last five years reported that as a direct result of this change, they saw an 11.1% increase in revenue growth on, on average and a 4.8% increase in market share on average. So there's a real ROI to adding 
headcount in this particular element or area of your business. But despite that reality, um, what we find is that only 35% of companies actually use dedicated channel managers to manage their distribution relationships. The vast majority are, are relying either on sales managers who are doing this part-time off the side of their desk or country managers. And the latter makes somewhat more sense because maybe you're not as mature in the market to, to have you know a full team to support your, your channel managers. And so your country managers in many respect are, are by default channel managers for some of these smaller companies. Well, also, if, if you're in a rising tide situation, it's a lot easier to leverage uh, this as kind of a part of somebody's portfolio as opposed to a full-time job. But as the tide is not rising as quickly, um, the investment in more focus, more dedication of resource to this, this area, which we think pays dividends, becomes even more imperative. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's this, correct. This pivot, this pivot that we've seen happen. Yeah, and I think um, you know, it's it's not just though that companies should be um, hiring dedicated channel managers and, and putting them in this role and supporting them, but it's also uh, a little bit of function of um, how channel managers approach their role uh, as channel managers. And so what we found is that. Uh, companies whose channel managers put capability development at the forefront of how they approach the relationship with their distributors tend to outperform. And we think that this is also low-hanging fruit because it's not that common in terms of overall practice. So uh, roughly only... Define a capability just for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the way that we think about this uh, is that most companies uh, are focusing on commercial outcomes when they're looking at the performance of their partners. And that makes a lot of sense, right? right? Because the, the, the first level of metrics are sales, basically. Exactly. And that's because it's easy to define. Yeah. It's how we're all incentivized. Yeah. And so it's it's a natural extension. But the reality is, is that that is a, first and foremost, a backward looking metric. And second of all, it gives you no context for how the business is being managed. And so if sales is underperforming, that could be because the market is poor and everybody's underperforming. could also be because your distributor's not doing their job well or they're neglecting you as, as a piece of their overall portfolio. And there's no way to discern that with the informational asymmetries that naturally exist between a distributor and a, a supplier. And so uh, the way in which you can manage around that uh, is to, instead of looking exclusively at commercial outcomes, look at capabilities. And really when I talk about capabilities, I'm talking about specific behaviors. And these are the behaviors that we can agree on uh, between the distributor and the supplier, that if you're doing them well, then you will see performance that follows. And so an example of this uh, that we look at all the time is around uh, sales fundamentals. So does your distribution partner actually have a good process for managing their sales? Do they have a pipeline process? Are they able to track the conversion rate of their deals across different phases? Uh, how do they uh, have? A, how do they manage their lead generation? These are things that you can track very simply uh, as a supplier. It's not easy. I shouldn't say simply. That's that's probably a little bit of an overstatement, but it's it's very doable and uh, yields so much more insight and power and motivation, quite frankly, at the end of the day, um, because if you're helping your, your your distributor to become better at that, then they're not only going to become better at selling your product, but they're going to become better business people themselves and businesses. And so therefore, they're going to be grateful for you. And so that's how you get that outsized mindshare that I was talking about before. And we've written a lot of research on on this capability and the importance of capability building and, and, and also creating measurements around that. We've done a lot of projects in this area. So that's one where we could dig deeper for clients. 
Um, I guess uh, we're, we're keeping a close eye on the time here. So one one last question as we shift a little bit towards best practices. I, obviously, there's so much ground to cover, but if you had to suggest one shift in the way companies manage their channel partners, and we talked about the importance of the role of the channel manager and capability, capability building, but if you had a, one thing that based on the findings of the benchmarking study that would have the highest payoff, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, we uncovered so many interesting levers that you can pull. So it's it's hard to pick one Maybe necessarily. We need a podcast series. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, everything from the way in which you know channel managers run their quarterly partnership meetings to the ways in which companies actually train their distributors—they all matter and all can drive outsized performance. But if I had to pick one, I would say it's around the way in which distributors are incentivized, um, and and this is really um, around. Uh, the type of incentive structure that you have in place. And from our perspective, the gold standard here is what we would call a status-based incentive program. And so the analogy that's probably easiest for our listeners to grasp is an airline status program, right? So we all know that one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, plenty of road warriors out there, I'm sure, in our, in our listenership. But um, you know, really what this comes down to is a program with different tiers of benefits as well as consequences that have been published and your distributor is absolutely aware of. So they know where they stand and they know what it's going to take for them to move up to the next level. And uh, companies that use status-based incentive programs uh, are 36% more likely to be in the top quartile when it comes to top-line revenue growth and they average operating margins that are 11 percentage points higher. So it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And what's interesting about this is that uh, incentives matter, especially not only because there's a right way to do this, but there's also a wrong way to do this. What we found is that companies who do not have any sort of incentive program whatsoever, any bonus whatsoever, uh, so they just offer a buy-sell markup, for example, which is actually a third of the companies that we surveyed, uh, they actually tend to see that they have operating margins that are eight percentage points lower on average than companies who have any other type of, of, of bonus structure whatsoever. So what you're seeing here is that there's actually a demerit to not having a, a structure, which seems maybe a little bit counterintuitive because you're paying more out if you have a bonus, uh, and that would have a direct impact on your bottom line. But the reality is, is that by incentivizing partners appropriately, you're creating efficiencies in the business. And those efficiencies translate through above and beyond just the financial remuneration that you're providing to your partners. Okay, good. Excellent. Let's leave it there uh, for now because I know we're running up against time. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for joining uh, me today. And I think we'll do we'll do more on this topic as we go along. So I think there's a lot more to dive into and it might, might make sense to have a uh, a series around this in all seriousness. But to all of our listeners, if you're interested in learning more about our research and resources on the channel management lifecycle, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that your FSG account manager can set up a conversation between you and Ryan or any other member of our research team uh, at your convenience. Uh, additionally, all FSG content's available online in downloadable PDF format uh, at www.frontierstrategygroup.com via our client frontier view platform this concludes our podcast for today until next time we wish you great outperformance across your emerging market portfolio thanks for listening